Good morning. Welcome to all the visitors here. It's good to see you here. And um, that was a an encouraging message, Brother Morgan, the opening, a good preface to where I want to go. And it was um, it's encouragement to take along, even as we as we walk out and of all that's going on. And the Lord is good. He definitely is good. And today I want to talk a little bit about, maybe I should say, our response to that and how we, how we live our lives. And I want to talk about are we working or taking it easy? Working or taking thine ease? And um, it, is a, it is a burden that has been on my heart the last little while. So before we go on, let's bow our knees again. No, let's bow our heads again this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for what has been given. This reminder that you are good, that you are sovereign, and that you are in control. We pray, O oh Lord God, that we can tune our hearts to the fact that you care, that you're, that you're there, and in, in, when everything is said and done, that's all that's going to matter. Is you, O oh Lord God, your kingdom, your ways. We pray, O oh Lord God, that you move and touch our hearts even today with this truth. That you have given us this time, which seems like such a long time, but in reality it's short compared to eternity, Lord, to redeem that time. To live for you. Father God, we pray that you bless this hour here again, that your presence may be richly felt, that you speak to our hearts, O Lord God, that you protect us from the evil one, that your Holy Spirit may minister. Bless this, the words coming forth in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So many times when there are calamities, we, we look at them and say, this is the Lord's judgment. And we have to be very careful that we don't, do not fall into that mindset. However, it is very, very healthy to ask and ponder and to, and to pray about it. What is the Lord saying here? To all the, the hardships we, go, we are going through, what is he saying? And I was reminded this last week about, and Brother Morgan brought it up in the opening, <clears throat> about Job. What if Job would have just said, well, the Lord is judging me and I am done. There is a curse upon me, I am done. And we can look at these hard things in our life, the, the, just this, this very judgmental way, and not keeping this mindset that the Lord is good and that He is sovereign. So, so I want to touch on, like I said, on <clears throat> I have this, this burden that has never left me, this question of our responsibility as, as God's people, as God's children. When, when, when we read the New Testament, we, 
we look at the works of the apostles, we, we look at what our forefathers did, the early Anabaptists, uh, we look at the life of Paul, and all these great men, and I always have this question, where do God's people fit in with that? Was this life, this dedicated life, reserved for just a few men, maybe a few sisters, and the rest just go live our life? Just live our life five, six days a week and come together and hear what the Lord has to say on Sunday, or even maybe what some men of God has to say on Sunday, I'm recharged for another week. Where is there a balance? Is there a way that we are called to live? Is Christianity all about maybe accepting the grace of God as salvation and then just living a good life, make a living, get rich, make a safe place for our family? Or is there a calling on each and every one of us like there was a calling on the life of the apostles? Can anyone answer this question? These are questions that we, that we have to reckon with. If you look at the life of Jesus, and what our, our whole faith, our life is based on his life, where do we compare with that? Jesus came, he suffered, he was rejected from the first moment he came to this earth, <clears throat> the first days. He was rejected by the people, his own people he came to save. He was rejected to the point of the cross. He suffered and died. So, on his scale of suffering, where do God's people fit in here? Is it like he's done it all? We just live. These are questions that I've been not only pondering for weeks but months and years. And it comes and goes, and I'm, I'm battling with it. And hopefully through this, this hour here, you can hear a little bit of my conclusion to that battle. The last few weeks in accumulating my experience and discussions I have as I was traveling out east, <clears throat> I've been able to think a lot and reassess my life as well as my church life and I believe it's always healthy to get out and to hear and to see different perspectives especially those that are of a similar vision it's good to discuss and exhort one another if our goal is to to, to move on to higher ground it's always good to hear different perspectives also this last week we had a lot of discussions here um, um, and it made me think about our ideology even as we as a church how we stand on on financials and uh, all these things how we live our life on a day to day basis and I've come to realize that one of our, our ideologies is living in community and, no, and having no accumulation of riches. This is what we're saying with our actions. 
But how do we push these ideologies in a world that we encounter? What does our mouth say? What do we preach? What are the things we pursue? How does, how does that come together? And having that ideology, our life then has to be occupied with a higher cause than a worldly drive for materialistic gain. It, that's just the way ideologies work. It's, it's a law. Otherwise, we're living and sending a confusing message. One of the truths that I have gathered in the last few years of my walk is that a follower of Jesus Christ has no idle time. This is one truth, one of the truths that I've gathered in my short Christian walk. That a follower of Jesus Christ has no idle time. There's some interference here. The new covenant <clears throat> leaves no time to take it easy and live for our own flesh. Therefore, one of our goals is to engage in the work that furthers the kingdom in one way or another. To look at every opportunity that has, that has been created and to contribute for the sake of him who had suffered for us. This is, I believe, this is what our life should look like. It's, there is no idleness. I have, I have yet to see a room in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, that leaves us with saying, take it easy. In fact, the only place I see it, as I can remember right now, there might be more, there's a judgment on it. But the burden has to come. If it's not there, I believe, then we don't give way for God's Spirit to move in our life. That burden has to be there. So as I'm speaking today, I hope and re uh, I hope that we understand that I'm talking to all of us that are sitting here that have made a commitment to Christ. I hope it's an encouragement. I hope it, it answers questions. It's not, I hope it's not confusing. There has to be a time when we commit our lives to God. But we find ourselves sitting and, and cannot find purpose in this life. It's, it's, maybe it's because that we have not fully engaged in the kingdom gospel. So I want to take our, my text out of Luke 12. Luke chapter 12, you can go there with me. Um, I will be reading out of the New King today and out of the King James. Um, depends which text. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 20. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? So this was Jesus' response here. And can you imagine being in Jesus' shoes right now at this very point? He came to do all these things out of obedience to his father to establish a kingdom, to, to make disciples, to usher in his kingdom that has been promised from 
the beginning of the world. They see him walking, they see him healed, they see him do miracles. But here comes someone from the crowd and says, Hey, how about my inheritance? Can you can you see the the, the not getting it? Can you can you imagine how Jesus felt at that time? Here is the Son of God. He's he's walking among men. He's telling him and preaching him and teaching about the kingdom. And here a guy, hey, teacher, can you do something about my inheritance? And here's Jesus' response. Verse 15, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And I, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those then whose will those things be which you have provided? And he said, Jesus said then in verse 21, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This last line. So is he who lays up treasure for himself. I interpret that as having a mindset that everything that's going on, that's happening, is about me, me, me. Fun, good things, good times. And I believe when we sign up as a believer, as a follower of Christ, this right is taken away. And we will learn about that. And we know about that already from the scripture. But God... Jesus called such a situation here that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, a fool. He calls it a fool. And I want to build the message that I have here out of these three last verses, 19, 20, and 21. As as we live our life, we form... We form our life in such a fashion that we, that we lay up treasure for ourselves or we're rich towards God. And I'm not pinpointing to any isolated incident, but rather on a mentality that has gripped God's people. Right at home here and many places we go, there's this mentality and it's oozing out like a canker of God's people. And it, it, it's a sore. It's, a, it's crippling God's people. And if that is the case, then the life of God will be choked out of a person. 
How can I say that? Jesus said it. The cares of this world choke up the life of God. It's, it's not there. It's going to be dead. It's quenching the spirit. So what should it look like? <clears throat> I view the kingdom of heaven, I like to, the way Jesus did it in Matthew 13. And Matthew 13 is a great chapter to study as we can get a feel on what God has planned for his kingdom. <clears throat> and he starts out again with the parable of the sower and explains it. And then, he eventually, then eventually we come to verse 31. I like to go all the way down to verse 31 and look at the parable of the mustard seed. <clears throat> and verse 31 says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And if we look at it, at that picture, the kingdom starts small. If they're small in our lives, there's this seed that God places into our lives. He, he gives us truth, He gives us life, but it keeps growing <clears throat> until it shapes and it, it, it affects the environment around us. It goes, it moves even from person to person, place to place, but the kingdom, the seed that God places within us, within us is not meant to stay a seed and die or just rest there as a seed. The kingdom of God is always meant to grow. As Jesus said here, it's like a mustard seed. So tiny. You put it in the ground, it grows. Now we can look at it a couple of ways. One of it is to challenge our life. The life, the seed that God has put there, how is that growing? How is that seed growing in our life? Is it, is it affecting our environment? And the question I have here, <clears throat> what does it take for us to grow in faith? What does it take for that seed to grow? It's obedience. It, it needs to grow. We have to keep that in mind. We cannot stay babes. We cannot stay a little mustard seed. It has to grow. Going down to verse 44. Again, <clears throat> Jesus keeps on talking. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So, what do we see here? What is, what is the picture portraying here? When Jesus, he goes on to say again, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what, what picture are we say, seeing here again? He's saying a man found a treasure that he esteems above everything else. And Jesus inserted a very important word. He hid the treasure. The man found the treasure and he hid it. Or he held on to it. 
And I believe he told it to say that the man didn't overreact. He knew what he was getting. He had time to think about. But he kept that treasure in his heart. And then he sold all that he had. And then he came back and got that treasure. And then he dove in with all that he had. So just Jesus using that parable again. What is he telling us how the kingdom of God works in our life? To me, one of the truths it's telling me is that we cannot take the kingdom and the teachings of Jesus and try to balance it with something else. Either we're wholly devoted to the kingdom of God or we're not. It seems to me when Jesus spoke, now this is Jesus' words here. There is no in-between. There is no playing time. There is no trying to get rich. There is no, all these things, they're not there. He said he sold everything he had and went after this treasure. He sells all that he has and buys that very field where the treasure was on. Again, verse 45, Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of a great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And Jesus just had another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like finding a treasure and selling all that is owed and then 100% investing into the newly found discovery. There is no other way. If we look at this chapter, at the teachings of Jesus, there is no other way. And how does it look like in our life? How, I mean, how should it look like in our life? I always like to take scripture and look at the truths of it. And then I like to ask the question myself and to those that are talking with, what does it look like? We can talk spiritual over scripture all day long, but what does it practically look like in our life? Um, I know a lot of it is our life, our livelihood has to be the kingdom of God. This is the end. This is why we wake up in the morning. And this is what we live for. And as we're going on, we have to ask ourselves, what activities and what hobbies or what actions are in our lives that prohibit us from living such a life? If, there, if we have some, then we, then we act as fools. We, we take the kingdom of God and we throw it away. And I believe this is why Jesus calls it a fool. Because we have sucked this, this precious, precious gift. And what he calls, he says, the kingdom of God is like. And he says, a precious pearl or a treasure. And we take it and we throw it away out of these frivolous activities or things or idols or whatever it may be. And in the meantime, the kingdom of God in our life is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Jesus said again in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
Or else you will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. There he goes again. Jesus' expectation on how we live our lives. We cannot reserve God for Sunday and live a different life all week long or something like that. Okay, so, so what's very interesting to notice in Matthew chapter 13 is that this chapter is intertwined, if you ever read it, with the judgment parables at the end of the world. Why did he put them in between these, these, these parables about the kingdom of God is like? He had the one with the tares and he had one with the, with the, with the fish. Why did he? What, what was he thinking about when he preached, when he spoke around Matthew 13? Something to think about and to ponder. <clears throat> and it just makes me think that it is very serious how we choose to live our life after he has called us on to the truth. It's very serious. Another sobering parable. I think that'll be the last parable. Is in Luke found in Luke 19, and it's about uh, the talents, verses 11 to 13. <clears throat> and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because it was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said to them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. So I want to stop here and we, we can talk about the rest later. <coughs> Is to look at the word, the word occupy. It comes from a Greek word, <coughs> which I will not try to say. If you want to know what it is, go look it up in the Strong's. But it means to busy oneself, and that is to trade. So here's the king, and he says to his servants, here are the talents, get going, be busy, occupy yourself. Busy yourself with what I have given you. And it's not to take it easy, but to busy, to be busy with talents, that God has given to his people. Maybe that is where our word busy, business comes from. Busyness. And also note verse 14. His citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying we will not have this man to reign over us. That tells us it's not an easy work. As history also tells us. So again let's stop here for a moment. And to look at our lives. What is God expecting of us? The decisions we make, the, the things that we pursue, the things that excite God's people, is it, does it have something to do with the talents that he has given us? When, when we pursue and when we think about doing maybe great things, is it about expanding our sheds? Our granaries, our richness, or does the advancement of the kingdom of God get us going? Is, is there the time when we move forward in the edge of our chairs and really get excited and start talking 
And yes, this could be, this could happen. Remember, God has given us the talents, and He said, "Get busy." So we we can take now two parables here. The man who built bigger sheds to store all his goods, and take this very parable here in Luke chapter 19, and then we can come up and read in between what is God saying to us? What is Jesus really saying to us here? How we should live our lives. In verses 17 to 20, we have a scene where the servants are judged according to their works. According to their works. The first two were rewarded for what they had gained, and the third was judged for just conserving what he had received. He was just conserving what he had received. Did you know that most of what we're talking here is a mindset and to let go? To let go and to pursue exactly what Christ has told us here to pursue. This is the second time we've read today that Jesus in his parable pronounced judgment for doing nothing, for taking it easy. Now, for one minute, look at the contrast of the gospel that is, that is being taught in the churches today. And part of it is true. But if you, if you take, a battery out of, take the battery out of this clock there, it's, it's correct two times a day. Does that make it a good clock or a good watch? I don't think so. But look at the, the difference in the Gospels here. One is repent, it's true. Show remorse, give your life to the Lord, and you're saved. And then live a pretty good, decent life. I think we all believe that. But what I'm right, what we're trying to do here is bring our attention to what Jesus said after we have done these initial steps is you don't take it easy. The fruits are in, the harvest is in now. <laughs> we don't take it easy. Freely you have received and freely you give. It is there's he's given us talents. And these talents have to reproduce. When I, when I ponder these things, and believe me, I do a lot, as I said at the beginning, I realize that our salvation goes way beyond the born-again experience. I think on the verse in Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you look at the condition of the church, the persecuted church, as I mentioned at the beginning, God sends that I've gone before and that I've suffered and died for the gospel. Where does a mindset come in 
that I can just live and enjoy the liberty of liberties of Christ and not work. Where does that mindset come from? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, we are redeemed from the wrath of God, from the fires of hell. Yes, but in the same time we fall into the hands of the living God. And the context of this verse is to uphold. The Hebrews writer talks about upholding the assembly of God's people and not to trod underfoot in the Son of God. Again, it's an eye, it's an opener, an eye opener here. To uphold the assembly of God's people and not to trod underfoot the Son of God. So looking at the word, we can be sure that when Jesus returned to sit at the Father's side, that he expected his church to engage in a work very similar to his work. And I don't think he meant just a few. Because if we, if we remember, again, judgment seeds in chapter 13, our judgment scenes in Matthew 25. It's not just a few there. And they all revolve around works of obedience. And so, let's look at our life. I like to put it again into three categories. And for me, I have always looked at the church from a three-dimensional point of view, if that's the correct term to use here. And that is from a personal perspective, from a family, and from the local body. And the reason I want to look at these three is, are we faithful to what God has shown us in all these three levels in the church? Being faithful is actually being busy in working. And all of us sitting here, we fall into all three or at least one category. And from the first one is from a personal perspective. The best way to analyze that is to be honest with ourselves and to look at our track record. What do we have to see? Signs of self-denial. To do work and to serve in areas that have eternal value. Never choose or live, or live for frivolous activities that continuously demand and suck out our time and our energy that has no eternal value. Especially if you're a single person. So many single lives have been wasted away because a frivolous activity that has no eternal value has been pursued and just tried to exalt in it like maybe sports or richness or something like that. And it is, it is one area, if we are consumed with it, then we're not working. 
multiplying the talents <coughs> that God has given us takes a lot of intentional planning and living it out. Intentional meaning is actually go deciding then to be busy and to do something about it. Not when our feelings dictate when we should be busy. But to look at the needs, to look at the kingdom of God, to look at the, at the work that is all around us, in our midst and around us, and to intentionally decide, this is what I'm going to do. I have never seen, and I've waited at one point in my life, for spontaneous needs to rise up right beside me where I can so willingly go and do them. And if you ever noticed, and a lot of times when a spontaneous need arises, and most of us will go do it, we're right there and we will help. But I believe the kingdom of God, the demands are a little bit higher than that. In fact, quite a few. It takes an intentional effort to do things that further the kingdom, that further God's word. And it's something that goes against our flesh. One verse that comes to mind is what Jesus himself said in Luke 14, 27. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We see a lot of intentional actions in this short verse. Whoever does not bear his cross, that's a decision, come after me cannot be my disciple. A follower of Christ has to be a disciple. There's one truth. A light bulb went on. I don't know. I've probably said it a lot of times. But there's one truth that said that, wow. When I started this, this, uh, this message here. A follower of Christ has to be a disciple. At the Great Commission, Jesus, what did Jesus command him to do? Go out and make disciples. So, if we go by the name of Christ, and there's no sign of a disciple in our lives or around us, or anything that describes us as a disciple, we are living a delusional lie. Part of our mark is to be a disciple. We have, just think about that and ponder on it. Jesus said something similar to the rich young man or ruler in Mark 10, 21. <clears throat> then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. Those riches, they will not... They will not help you anything. You better be able to walk away from them. And I've asked that question the last two weeks in my heart. If I have to walk away from all this for the sake of the gospel, I am ready. In my heart, I felt I am ready to do it. And we have to be ready to walk away from our comfort, from riches. And to take up the cross and follow Christ. 
on a personal level, so much has to happen. And when it's not happening, then the next two levels, a person will bring a lot of hindrance. Especially if a person goes into a marriage or joins himself with a family of God. Something has to happen on that similar note on a personal level. The next is a family. Questions to ask. How am I redeeming the time to be effective as a family, as a father? And of course, there's always little ones that are being trained. There's a lot of business revolving around a family. But what about in that meantime, bringing them to the understanding of the truth? How am I busying myself with my family that God has entrusted with me? First of all, as a father, to minister to the family so that they have a desire to serve Christ and his body and people. One minute here. Am I busy? With the kingdom of God right in the family. We talk about doing ministry work, great things over there, and going to the cities and ministry wherever the Lord will lead us, and it's good. I believe that as that has to be part of the desire of a child of God. But ride under us, right there in front of us. To us fathers, there's a family that if we are being honest and that we are being faithful to what God has called us, we will be very, very busy. And most of the busyness, the flesh again does not desire. Many times us fathers have this problem. It's called big boys, big toys. And it's something that has to go when we choose to enter into marriage. And we're talking about a kingdom perspective. Now the world is full of big boys and big toys, boats and ATVs, a few vehicles, a few pickups, luxurious houses, and you name it. It's, it's all there. And it's, it's popular culture in, in the culture we live in, in America. But I'm talking about a peculiar people that God has called out. As we look at our wife, at our, at our children, how busy are we with the kingdom gospel? Is it good? Or Have you ever noticed how little emphasis there is on a family, how a family can minister a family can actually be a ministering team. And we see it. There's families coming around and minister. It's, it's good. But there's not enough emphasis on that. So what is the alternative that we have? If, we do not, if we're not busy with kingdom perspective in a family. The alternative is many hours are wasted for children at a young age in videos and games and other frivolous activities. 
that distract them and lead them into bondage later on. I believe the family environment is a training ground for greater work with God's people later on. That environment has to be filled with serving and teaching about kingdom principles. The spiritual responsibility as an adult in a home is tremendous. Fathers help to discipline the next generation and it's a place where single young men, young people are given a trajectory in life. That's where the lot has to do with the trajectory in the family. And I'm not putting everything 100% on the family on that. I believe it's the environment which consists of the church, friends, work environment, all helps with a trajectory. But if these things are not in the home, and it's serious. There's going to be a very weak trajectory in a person's life. If not a. And then somehow these poor people have to start going again. And then they go again. Start again. They fall down again. If you ever studied the, the moon, the Apollo missions... Trajectories was one of the most important factors of the mission. If the trajectory failed, the mission failed. And again, there is no time to fool around. There is no time to play. So much in our mindset is play, me, time, and play, play, play. But there is no time. I'm standing here I've been married for 17 years. And it seems like it was two years ago, three years ago. Time is not on our side. So one of the kingdom work we can do is to be occupied and busy in our homes. Does it occupy us dads? Does it occupy our young people? So next is the church. Wherever we can plug in at a church, whenever we can plug in at a church, it creates so many opportunities to serve and to work besides the two previous points I said. A church creates a lot of opportunity. Any brother or sister that is wholeheartedly connected to the church will see opportunity after opportunity. But if I'm still struggling with the first point, I will hardly see any point in plugging in at the church level. Every, every opportunity is seen as a, as, as a gold mine. The wisdom of God in creating a body of believers, which can be an army of effective soldiers advancing the kingdom. And on the present level, the more we hold back, the less we have on the army level, on the striving together. And the opportunities are serving one another, serving people that are in need in and out of the church. 
support the efforts to minister inside a local church, outside the church. Build and exhort the church. And these things, exhorting, I believe builds for greater work. If the realization of the suffering of Christ is real in my life, then it has, and what he has redeemed me from, I will look for opportunities like that to serve. And I believe that is a very, very important factor. If I've realized the sufferings of Christ, and if they're real in my life, and what he has redeemed me from, then I will look for opportunities to serve. So looking at these three areas in my life, I find no time to take it easy. Does anybody here? Is there time to take it easy and go and, and enjoy a luxurious lifestyle and have fun? Who finds time? Just take the personal perspective. Self-discipleship. Where do we find time? <laughs> Never mind the family and, and the local body. There is no time. And if Okay, at the beginning I said, let's look at our track record. If I do, I strongly believe the life of God is quenched in me. Because the Spirit, according to what we've read in Scripture, the Spirit of God does not command us to be idle. Many Christians are occupied, but it's pleasure. And sometimes maybe even work that builds up or builds up our little empire. And then we have a Polish line that claims, I'm saved. That is not the occupation we look. Because when I look around, I see playing and ease everywhere. There's a quote from a Jewish Holocaust survivor, maybe you all know it already, named uh, Viktor Frankl. He was so absorbed and ardent with people finding prayers in life, he wrote a book called Men Searching for Meaning, and right after was liberated. And it has been an influential book and translated into many different languages. But here's the quote that it just grabbed my attention a while back and it hasn't left me. And, okay, when a person can find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. When a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. Uh, that thing is so true. Um, it, you think it should be part of the gospel. A man who is absorbed with the kingdom of God will not go look after pleasure. It, it's a very simple, it's a very simple concept. But we can use that quote and look at our lives. Am I distracting myself with pleasure? With covetousness? With games? With uh, all kinds of things? Well, if I do, well, let's just stop then for a minute. I am lacking purpose and meaning in my life. 
I need to reevaluate. And that quote, that illustrates so much our mainstream American culture. It has been known throughout the centuries if the working class or the poor in society are distracted with entertainment and amusements, such a country then will experience very little unrest. So aristocrats knew even in the Middle Ages that if they provide entertainment and amusements, the, the people will be satisfied, the peasants. It's pacifying with pleasure. And can we testify even to that in our lives when the Spirit of God is moving and working in our lives and we go look for something to do? Or when there's a burden on my heart, a distraction, maybe in the news, rather than prayer. Or when our spouse speaks to us, distraction. Or when we have as father's family time, Distraction. And that's just one example. And when I look at my life, I cannot agree more with that Victor Frankl quote. Have you ever noticed that people look for something to do? How many people do you know that can go sit still under a tree and just stare straight ahead? We say, sometimes we say that people are lazy. Because they like to go on a lazy boy and watch videos and browse the internet. But they're distracting themselves. They're doing something. Hopkins University did a study a few decades ago. I think it was a few decades ago. And found out what the, what the biggest, what is it, what the, what the biggest pursuit was in their life. And overwhelming, just close to 80% said they're, they're looking for purpose and a meaningful life. And just a small percentage said you're looking for money. Every one of us is looking for purpose. We're looking for something to do. If we neglect the kingdom of God, we will distract ourselves with pleasure. Toys. Even four-wheelers. Zooming back and forth. All kinds of things. I, I don't know what, what's pleasure to each and every one of you. And I know what is in my life. <clears throat> but the, the point is not pointing to specific, specific activity. It is the heart behind that we neglect the work of God and distract ourselves with pleasure. So the challenge here is, before we close, is for God's people, um, Jesus returned to the Father, promising that he would return, and in the meantime, he commanded his church to be occupied. And as in the, in the parable, be busy, and to make disciples. Jesus asked, like also in Luke 8, 8, 18, 8, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Whatever we find ourselves busy with, we have to ask ourselves, is it, is it a distraction? Is it distraction with pleasure? Or is it the work of God? Paul warns in 2 Timothy in, in the perilous times that men 
will be lovers of pleasures, among many other evil trades. But one thing that always caught my attention will be lovers of pleasure. And lovers of pleasure, again, it's, it's a distraction. <clears throat> so in closing, Ephesians 5.15, See then that you walk circumspectly, and not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So amen. Let's occupy until he returns. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we pray that your grace will show us that we may see the signs of the times, the condition of our hearts, Lord, that we can rightly discern in our lives if our hearts are dedicated unto you or simply distracted with whatever that may be. Lord, I pray that you give each and every one of us here the grace to repent, to turn unto you, to have you at our foremost and utmost place to seek you, to seek your will for our lives, to live for you, to do your work, to be occupied so that when you will return, that you will find the faithful busy with your work, with your kingdom. May we be found among them that love you, that seek to do your will, that are your faithful children, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.